Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. I've been thinking a lot about aging as I have just had a very significant birthday. And as people age, I've noticed that they experience more of life's changes that really do impact mental health, like coping with serious illness or the loss of a friend or loved one. And a lot of people do very well in adjusting to these life changes while others experience deep feelings of grief and social isolation and loneliness. And of course, when those feelings persist, they can lead to mental illnesses like depression and anxiety. So I thought it would be important to talk with Dr. James Polo today about how we can make mental health important at every stage of life, especially as we get older. And what are the changes that people should be looking for if they begin to get worried about a loved one? Oftentimes, I notice that Dr. Polo and I go through an entire conversation and fail to actually note the warning signs of what you need to be really concerned about. So here they are. If you notice changes in someone's mood or their energy level or their appetite, or they may be flat or having trouble feeling positive emotions, if you see them uh, with difficulty sleeping or sleeping too much, or contrary to that, difficulty concentrating, feeling restless, on edge, unable to sleep, it is time to actually talk to a healthcare provider. All of us have worries, but increased worry, feeling stressed about one particular thing that a person cannot let go is also a sign that there could be a mental health struggle, as is anger, irritability, aggressiveness, ongoing headaches and digestive issues are often connected to mental health problems. Someone who is using alcohol or drugs consistently really does need to speak to a professional. And anyone who talks about suicidal thoughts or who is engaging in really high-risk activities should be referred to a mental health practitioner. So anytime that you have the thought that someone's behavior is concerning to you, it likely is worth getting checked out. Here's Dr. James Polo on Mentally Healthy Aging. Thank you. So I have been thinking a lot about middle aging and what I can do to make sure that I keep my attitude positive, that I keep my body lean and strong and flexible, and also most importantly, what I need to do for my mind. Could we start with your own experience of aging Dr. Polo and some of the things that you do? Yes. Gosh, this is a great topic to talk about. So unfortunately, one of the things that none of us can change is the fact that we're all going to age. And I think of it kind of like being a car. If you take care of that car, it will last longer. If you don't take care of that car, it just won't. From a brain health perspective, there's so many things that you can do to keep your brain healthy. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because you know, we live in a society today where people are living longer and they're aging and unfortunately sometimes uh, having some cognitive difficulties. Now, sometimes you can't prevent that, but there are a lot of things that you can do to really mitigate because you never know who is the individual that's going to have challenges. Right. And, and what's interesting is the very basics that are most important are easy for everybody to do. If you talk about um, who should be considering these pointers, one of the things that I want to just communicate, especially to our younger audience, is how you should begin these activities really early, like yeah. 20s, 
30s before you have any kind of cognitive decline start to set in, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So let's start by first just making sure we kind of define mental decline, cognitive decline, mild yeah. cognitive uh, challenges. All of us, to some degree, are going to have some age-related changes in how we think and how our mind works that is really part and parcel to being just normal aging. Yeah. It doesn't affect your overall ability to live life, enjoy life, and do things. You know, simple things like forgetting where you put something or mm -hmm. missing an appointment, maybe having more difficulty following directions. You know, these are all little mild, subtle symptoms that, hey, my brain is not as sharp yeah. as it used to be, yeah. but I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I, I remember all my family, people, et cetera, so on and so forth. Now, mild cognitive decline can start as early as 45. Mm. And it can last for, you know, decades and be nothing but mild cognitive decline. There are some folks, unfortunately, that do go on to have more serious cognitive decline. And, you know, we tend to think of Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's is the most common form of formal dementia. And dementia is when you really do have significant cognitive decline that is now beginning to impair your life. It's beginning to impair your thinking. It's beginning to impair your judgment. It's beginning to impair your language. Mm. You know, luckily the overwhelming grand majority of people that have that kind of serious cognitive decline don't really have that decline until they're 65. And in mm. fact, they usually don't even get diagnosed until they're well into it because the early signs and symptoms can be very subtle. Mm. The reason why I think it's important to just have that framework is because if you want to get into a healthy lifestyle, you've got to do it. Like you said earlier, you've got to do it in your twenties and thirties yeah. and forties. It just, it needs to become part of who you are. And part of that has to be about respecting the number of brain cells that you have. So not destroying them with excessive alcohol or excessive drug use, the kind of things that I think a lot of people in their twenties don't even think about, wow, down the road, I wish I had those brain cells back. <laughs> correct. Correct. You know? <laughs> See, you're, you're touching on something that a lot of people think is too hard to understand, but it's really quite simple. The, the brain is full of cells and they communicate with electrical impulses traveling from one brain cell to the next. Yeah. Now, luckily, we're born with an incredible number of brain cells. So we typically call the brain having a high degree of plasticity. Mm -hmm. We have way many more cells than we actually need. Yeah. But the problem is you're not going to grow any new cells once you're born. And so you want to do everything you can to preserve those cells. And there are certain things that can damage cells. Like, for example, excessive alcohol. If you, you, get, if you drink a lot, uh, or even if you just have one big bender, you're going to kill thousands of cells. Okay. Yeah. And you won't even know that you killed thousands of cells. But if you do that over a long period of time, it will begin to have an impact. What happens with dementia is that you start getting buildup in the brain of certain proteins and those proteins make it very difficult for those transmissions to continue to occur. And that's why people will have decline. We can't predict necessarily exactly which people will have that and which ones won't. Okay. So we've all heard kind of about the genetic transmission of dementia and Alzheimer's. I want to ask you about the impact on this process through trauma, because after my late husband died and when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer, I felt such a decline in my cognitive ability. So have there been any studies to show a similar impact on your brain functioning after suffering from major trauma? 
Yes. I think the way to address that best though, is to highlight that taking care of your mental, emotional well-being also has a positive impact on helping you. Trauma affects mm. all of us in many different ways, but it does affect the brain and yeah. can sometimes be related to earlier cognitive decline. Wow. Thank goodness in my own case, I felt like it alleviated itself after the intense stress had passed and many months and years of like doubling up on sleep and good water and good mental hygiene habits. But man, I worried about that. I really did because it was almost like being hit by a car. Well, and one of the things that you're touching on is that sometimes the early symptoms uh, of cognitive decline are not that different from early symptoms of anxiety, depression, and stress. Right. And so the reason why I highlight that is because, you know, all of us go through periods in life where things are challenging or we're facing something that's very stressful. We go through a period where we can't quite concentrate or we think we're we're not quite all with it and mm -hmm. can sometimes go down the route of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I've, I've got early uh, dementia. And the reality is, no, 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 you're, you're stressed. Yeah. It's so interesting to me too, that stress rather than being an exciter actually does just the opposite on your brain. Isn't yes. that fascinating that over time it actually acts as a depressant? Well, you know, it's interesting because all of us, you'll, you'll hear people say all the time, hey, I operate best under stress. Yeah. And this is actually technically true. When you're stressed, all your resources get devoted to handle whatever that stress is. Right. The challenge is that is only good for a short period of time. Yeah. It's the chronic stress that really begins to have significant impact. And have they been able to show Dr. Polo that it actually shortens telomeres, that you're beginning to see the impact on genes and how we actually change our so, ability to so withstand this, life? <laughs> so this, so first of all, this is an area where there's a ton of research currently ongoing. And, it, and in fact, there's all kinds of medications coming out that are FDA approved now for potentially helping people that might have cognitive decline. So wow. I guess the way I would put it is, the brain is probably the most complex computer by far, mm. and we're just touching the surface and under in understanding totally. how it actually functions. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about some of the really basic um, psychological tools that you can use, that you can begin implementing, that we do know help brain health and help stave off cognitive decline. Absolutely. The basics of brain health can begin early in life. Believe it or not, exercising getting good sleep, mm -hmm. eating well, mm -hmm. not smoking, avoiding sugar, avoiding alcohol, being socially active, and doing things that actually stimulate your brain. Mm. So I'll give you a very simple example. My wife and I are both in that age where we worry about this probably more than a 20-year-old. <laughs> My wife, a couple of years ago, decided to take the cello. And she took lessons and she learned how to play the cello and it was very uh, challenging, but she was using a part of her brain, obviously, that she hasn't used before. Okay. Mm. Uh, I've been using Duolingo to learn a new language just mm. for fun because we're going to be traveling. And, and I figured, well, you know, what the heck, I've got the time, I'll, I'll do this. So doing things to keep your mind active in different directions is helpful. Is yeah. helpful, But all of these things are the kinds of things that if you start early in life, they become part of the way you are in such a way that you're most likely to protect your brain as much as possible. 
You know, Dr. Polo, I've been meeting a lot of women at middle life who have had really full careers, raised their kids, and weren't really capable of putting a lot of time into community and hobbies and friendships. And when their kids are launched and their careers end, there is this period of just total loss of identity in terms of who they are, what their purpose is, and what they're really going to do to stave off that feeling of being diminished. And I know we talk about diminishment in the brain, but it occurs to me that that also happens if you haven't laid the groundwork for how are you going to have a healthy, social, positive later life. So you are touching on something that is really important. In general, not absolute, and I'm not trying to to be biased in any way, but in general, many women do feel when their kids are launched or their career is over, they're wondering about, well, what am I for? What do I do? And, And they can go through some struggle as they transition into that later part of life. For men, it's more focused on their career, their job. I'm no longer important. I don't, you know, I don't have any responsibilities, et cetera. Part of healthy aging is recognizing that that actually is a normal transition Mm -hmm. and opening your life to different things, to different experiences of which the most important is social connections. Yeah. You know, I worry about people that come to see me for therapy that say, Hey, I feel worthless because I no longer have this job. Well, your job isn't who you are. Mm-hmm. Who are your friends? What 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 kinds of activities do you engage in? Where do you socialize? What about family? Those are the things that really drive us in the long run. Yeah. I'm always likening it to the, I love talking to hospice nurses about people's last wishes, you know, and I talked to this hospice nurse who said, I have never once heard a person say, I wished I'd work harder. <laughs> or, or longer. <laughs> exactly. Or taking that business trip that I should have that weekend, you know, <laughs> they they just don't have those kind of thoughts. But I do think that community and socializing becomes extra, extra important. And it's interesting to me that our brains as we age are trying to nudge us toward staying in, having the same repetitive patterns, doing the same place, vacationing in the same area and not stretching. Why is that? Yeah. You know, it's partly physical, but it is also partly emotional. Keep in mind that there are people that age that also have physical things that affect them. So I'll just use my my parents for an example. My, My parents reached an age where they no longer really wanted to travel. The reality was physically traveling was difficult. Mm-hmm. But I think there was also an emotional component mm-hmm. where they just, they weren't excited about it anymore. And it wasn't yeah. until a couple of years afterwards that I realized actually it was part of their decline. So sometimes we shut ourselves in because it's just difficult. And it's the other reason why keeping healthy is very important because if you're active and mm-hmm. able to get out and do things, then you're more likely to actually stimulate and activate your brain. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why this pandemic has been so challenging because for folks that were already kind of isolated and older and alone, they were more so with with all the social restrictions. I keep thinking about what a godsend pickleball has been for me because <laughs> no matter and I this is sounds like such a funny thing to say, but no matter where I'm traveling, I can take that flimsy little $50 racket out to a public court and be engaged with other people my age, younger, older, much better than me, 
wearing braces. And But I am so shocked by the social nature of that particular sport. And I can imagine that if I were physically limited from doing that kind of thing, it would be really difficult to find a way to go out and immediately be surrounded by people who say, hey, where are you from? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So what do people do once they become physically not disabled, but just incapable of engaging in the things that are socially oriented. You've got to be creative, whether it means joining a group. Hey, maybe maybe you can't be in that running club anymore, but you can join a book club, which yeah. just requires, you know, sitting. Oftentimes, I will recommend to people, strike up a friendship with somebody else where you can kind of tackle that together. Hey, I'll drive this week. Maybe you'll drive a different week. Hey, yeah. our daughter will take the two of us every other week or whatever. Mm. One of the challenges is that people sometimes don't realize you can ask for help. You can reach out. We tend to not want to do that. Mm. But it's been my experience that older individuals that do have things that get in the way have more resources in their friends and family than they sometimes realize. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that story we tell ourselves about we're a burden. We don't want to make other people feel bad about our being lonely or shut in. And so exactly. we don't actually say that when they would probably love to help, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So Dr. Polo, what are, if if I'm thinking about the things that I know I do in a day that really make me feel better and certainly less depressed during the winter months, like you and I have to be in the Northwest and it can be brutal. Meditation really, really helps me reading great philosophical books that talk about struggle through the years. You know, some of the ancient philosophers have really helped me. What are some of the things that you suggest to your patients about if you feel that melancholy coming on, if you feel the the loneliness of aging and the difference in your status, what should you be reading, doing, engaging in? Yeah. So that's a really great question because aging all by itself can be disappointing. Uh, yeah. And I'm using the word disappointing on purpose because none of us want to age. I mean, let's be realistic about this. We we all would love to stay the age we are and continue to enjoy life. And when you begin to see your own limitations, it can sometimes be depressing. Mm-hmm. Now I'm using depressing instead of depoint, disappointing. Okay. Yeah. For people that had very active and vibrant younger years, Sometimes that lack of being able to do the activity is even more hurtful than somebody that maybe, hey, they never really were athletic and didn't like doing all that stuff. So they're not really missing it per se. Yeah. So, you know, what I generally tell folks is, first of all, you need to make sure that you have interests in different areas and you have to cultivate those interests in different areas. Mm. So if you're somebody that, let's say, is an, a sportsman, you love hiking, you love biking, you love all that kind of stuff. Well, are there some other activities that would still drive your passion that you could do when you're not doing all that activity? Do you mm. love reading? Do you do you like uh, going to museums? Do you like uh, doing something on the internet that is uh, stimulating? So cultivating interests in different areas, precisely so that one is when one is not available, you've got other things you can do. Mm. I, I how many that. times I've seen people that say. This is what I used to do, and I can't do that anymore, and my life is over. And I said, there's a ton of other things you could do, Yeah, but you have to think about it. It really um, feels important for me to include service in there because yes. I think if there's anything that lifts depression, is that feeling of actually helping other people. and Something that really is so critical because it borders on not only mental health, 
but brain health. So I think of brain health in terms of being able to function. I think of mental health in terms of how we feel. Yeah. So I'm a critical, critical when it comes to purpose, meaning we have to have something that gives us meaning beyond ourselves. Yeah. That's what allows us to feel like what we're doing is helpful or it's it's important. It has some kind of purpose. It's meaningful. And volunteer work and helping others, jumping in and doing something where you have nothing to gain are those kinds of things that allow you to have that feeling, hmm. which can be very important. For older folks, sometimes I recommend, hey, have you thought about having a pet? You know, yeah. just having a little pet to take care of gives them a purpose. Hey, I got, yeah. I've got to feed this little pet. I've got, yeah. to, I've got to walk this little pet. I've got to, you know, help it, you know, grow and develop. So having purpose and meaning is critical for our brain health. You know, I've learned so much about cognitive behavioral therapy and how you can actually be become an observer of your own thoughts. And what I do is I every time I feel a negative thought about myself or my capability at this age, I challenge it with that cognitive behavioral therapy framework. And I know it's hard for people to think about getting into therapy, especially after the age of 50. But man, if you haven't done it by then, it's a great endeavor to learn more about how your brain oh, yes. works. You oh, know? yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that we would all do better if we were in therapy throughout our whole lives, yeah. so to speak. And, and what I mean by that is that being reflective and recognizing who you are and how you're changing is a very important skill. And what cognitive behavioral therapy is really ultimately all about is how do you look at the world? Mm -hmm. And how you look at the world at the age of 20 is not going to be the same when you're 40 or yeah. 60 or 80. So Dr. Polo, I mean, I know that our brain cells are not activating as rapidly as they used to. We're not creating as many new ones to be able to feel better. And for somebody who both has kind of a genetic predisposition to depression and also begins to see the diminishment of their body and their mind, mm -hmm. What is the efficacy of starting antidepressants later in life? Is it safe? Is it recommended if someone's really struggling? Well, one of the challenges is that sometimes some of the symptoms of depression are similar to some of the symptoms of cognitive impairment. So for example, when I'm evaluating somebody for depression, I'm going to ask them questions about you know, are you having difficulties with concentration? Are you having troubles with focus? You're having troubles with motivation because those things can be the result of being depressed. Mm -hmm. Now, ironically, when you, when you have those symptoms and the reason happens to be that they are depressed, then very often antidepressants can actually help relieve some of those symptoms. Yeah. Unfortunately for people that have those symptoms as a result of cognitive decline, mm -hmm. the medication won't actually improve the symptoms, although they may be more wow. accepting of the stress related. Because remember, one of the challenges with cognitive decline is that oftentimes people have early signs that they recognize in themselves. And that all by itself creates stress. It creates anxiety. It can even create some depression. Yeah. I really love this conversation because I think honestly, if people were dealing with their own physical, emotional, and mental health as they got older with as much care and feeding as, for, for instance, they give their kids, right? Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. always trying to make sure your kids are meeting your milestones, you're giving them good nutrition, you're making sure they're sleeping. 
but somehow we don't afford that for ourselves. And then we just get frustrated when we can't do everything we wanted to do. Correct. And you know, what I remind folks is sometimes the problems that we're suffering from, the difficulties that we are experiencing are really just a normal part of life. Mm-hmm. And the response that we have to that is actually the normal response. I, I give you a personal example. My mother developed dementia in her 80s. So it wasn't too un- unexpected given her age, but I became her primary caretaker. And for the first year of her uh, serious dementia, I was every week, it was something. Every week we were thinking about, okay, now I got to take the car away. Now I got to move her. I mean, there was always something going on and, and I didn't realize how much stress it was creating in me. And I was having difficulties with work. I was not thinking clearly. I wasn't resting well. And I began to think, I have dementia. I'm not remembering things. Mm-hmm. I was so I was so overwhelmed. I actually went to see a doctor and said, I, I think I might be having some signs of early dementia. I need to be evaluated. Wow. And believe it or not, they did a full evaluation and said, there is nothing wrong with you at all. You're stressed. And guess what? It's a pretty normal feeling when you're taking care of a parent who's declining dramatically. Mm. And so it was a wake-up call to me to to recognize, hey, look, life pushes you through all kinds of things that you cannot expect. You have to make sure that you take a step back before you get overwhelmed and assume that your brain is falling apart because the response I was having was simply the normal response of dealing with her dementia. Mm. Yeah. I know it's a really sensitive thing either when you recognize cognitive decline in someone else or you recognize it in yourself. So when do you know if you should get help? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, as I said earlier, sometimes you can have some symptoms that are not part of cognitive decline, but unless you get seen and evaluated, you may not know. So I generally recommend to people, look, if you have concerns that you might be slipping, go get seen. Get evaluated, talk with your primary care doctor and see what he or she recommends that you do. Don't suffer with that fear, I'm losing it. Now, by the same token, if friends and family are telling you, you know, uh, I've noticed you're not remembering this, you're not doing that, even more, you should go and get seen. And the reason is because those early signs and symptoms sometimes are the gateway to be able to at least begin to think about transitioning hey, what do I need to do to account for for the fact that I'm having a few difficulties? Mm. Kind of being able to begin to accept that because it's horrible for individuals that have enough wherewithal to know that they're losing it and they're suffering in silence all alone. That's such a great place to end on. I said the other day to my friend, it really feels like that suffering is just part of the bargain we get for having this great ride of getting to be human. And (laughs) it's it's part of it. We're all going to suffer through these really difficult times when you become a caregiver, when you lose someone, when someone you love gets sick. It's like nobody gets to get out of any of those phases ever. You know, what I remind folks is we, we don't do this enough, I think. But at the same time that we think about conceptualizing our life, enjoy the moments when they're in front of you right immerse yourself into what's going on today there's always good things going on because you don't know what comes in the future no kidding there's nothing like growing deeper you know yes. and wilder right yes yes <laughs> thanks again dr polo it's so great to catch up thank you sheila